Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the power of the kingdom that is working mightily in us. Thank you that we have passed from death unto life. And today we want to talk a little bit about that wonderful experience of coming to know Jesus. Bless my words as I speak. Bless this lovely congregation as they listen. And may we all be partakers of divine truth for the glory of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you today a little bit about this idea of the birthmarks of a believer. Now, every church is different in some respect. Some say this is the way to come into the kingdom or this is the way to come into the kingdom. Most of them say the same thing, but the door may look a little different. Some doors are heavy on the church. Some doors are heavy on a personal decision, whether it's made on the side of a mountain or a Billy Graham crusade or at the front of the church on a Sunday morning altar call. There are great differences. Sometimes we might baptize differently. Sometimes we might differ on the dynamic of spiritual gifts in the church and so forth. But there are some commonalities that I think are the birthmarks of every true believer of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to talk about today. I'm going to be reading from the epistle of John, and we're going to take a look at five birthmarks of the believer. Now, let me say this. Any of you that are parents, you know when a baby is born, usually one of the first things that's said after it's a boy or it's a girl is, boy, that looks like his mama, or he looks like his daddy, or he looks like Uncle Fred, or whatever it is. There are, there are similarities. Now, these similarities are not fully developed. Sometimes they're not seen right away. I remember one of our kids, we knew she was ours, but we couldn't figure out who she looked like. And then a few days into it, it just became as clear as bell uh, to us. She looked just like my mother, her, her grandmother. So sometimes the similarities are a little slow to see, but they're there. Now, we know that the similarities are there. Sometimes they take a little bit of time to emerge. Um, but we also know this. Whenever a child is born into a family that child is a full member of that family from the very second it's born. Uh, for instance, in my family, none of my children became more chitty with the passing of time. They were that way from the moment they were born. Now, their behavior would change, their familiarity would change, their looks would change. But looking back, all my kids are grown now and I have grandchildren, but looking back, you see from the beginning, they're part of this family. And there are some true things uh, that are parallel in the life of every child of God. Now, let's begin with John, not, not the epistle of John, but the gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we're going to talk about the proposition of Jesus coming. And then we're going to talk about what happened when he came. First John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not comprehended or not understood it. In other words, the coming of Jesus is something greater than the natural mind can conceive and get hold of. But when he came, he not only made an appearance, but he did something in us. He changed us so that we're able to begin to understand the heavenly dynamic and the spiritual realm. This is what verse 10 says. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, yet his own did not receive him. Now that's that great mystery we talk about. But in verse 12, it says, yet, or as the King James says, but... As many as received him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What a miraculous coming into the world is the birth of Jesus Christ. But no less miraculous is the new birth that we receive as the children of God. As many as believed him, to them he gave the ability to become the children of God, not through our effort, not through anything we deserve or anything we've worked for, but God set something supernatural in motion and we are known as his children. Now, whether you belong to this church or that church is a side issue. What matters is that the spiritual regeneration took place. It was described to Nicodemus as a new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. So how do we know that we've been born again? That's a definite act because John would describe it this way. He says, those who have come to Jesus have passed. It was the idea of something that has already taken place. They have passed from this to this. He put it this way, we have passed from death to life. Eternal life is not something we're going to get one day, loved ones. If we belong to Jesus, we have eternal life right now. So how do we know that we have been born again? Well, there are some things we'd love to talk about, but it's another topic for another day. We know because of the eternal assurance of God's word. He promises us that when we come to him, he will receive us and he'll never cast us aside. There's not only though the eternal witness, there's an internal witness. The scripture says that his spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You can look it up in Gray's Anatomy and you won't find it. You can go to medical school and they'll never tell you it exists. But every one of us has a part on the inside. I just call it the knower. The knower 
we know that we have passed from death to life. So we have not only the eternal witness of God's word and the internal witness of the spirit, but we also have some external witnesses that I want to talk about today. This has to do with our behavior. Now, I know we're saved by grace. We know that. It's, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. But works do play a part in our life for God. James Kennedy used to say that our works are a thank you to God for what his grace has accomplished. Um, but every one of us, even though we're saved by grace through faith, should expect works to follow our faith. Now, our works don't take us to heaven, but our works will follow us there. So I want to ask you in the little bit of time we've got together this morning to just look at five external birthmarks that are part of every child of God. Now, it's not what you think it would be intuitively. It's not belonging to a certain nationality. It's not belonging to a race. It's not even belonging to some external set of standards. Jesus spoke to the Jews of his day, many of whom were devout and righteous, but many who were not. And to those who were not, he says, you're not Abraham's child. He said, if you were Abraham's child, you'd live like Abraham lived and you'd believe what Abraham believed. He said, you're of your father, the devil, and the deeds of your father will you do. And we found out that not everyone that was a true child of Abraham was necessarily Jewish by birth, but there was something spiritual that took place. Now, Here's number one. Let's start with these birthmarks and review them. Number one, here's the first question to ask. If you're, if you're wondering, have I, have I really, really made my commitment to Jesus Christ in a serious way? The first question you ask is this. Your first birthmark is this. Have I confessed Jesus as Lord? Now confess, that can mean to admit you did something, but confess in the, in the, the, the biblical word confess, homologeo, it means to say the same thing as. When I confess my sins, I say the same thing about my sins that God says. I say the same thing. When I confess Jesus as Lord, it's not just that I acknowledged he lived or it was the best man who ever lived. I say the same thing about Jesus that the scriptures say about Jesus. I bear the same witness to Jesus that the Father bears to Jesus. That is that he is the son of the living God and he is the savior of the world. The question is not, do you believe Jesus existed? The question is not, do you think Jesus is an all right guy? The question is, do you believe what the scripture says about Jesus? That he is God incarnate, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, and was raised from the dead by the power of Almighty God and raised to the right hand where he ever lives to make intercession for us. That's the essence of the gospel. Do you say yes to the person of Jesus and do you say yes to the mission of Jesus. Is the Jesus in your heart the same Jesus that's portrayed in Scripture? I remember when I was uh, just a young Christian, I was in, in junior high school, 
and uh, middle school, they call it these days. And I was eager to try to let my light shine. And there was a man that, uh, I say a man, uh, a boy like me that was in algebra class. And my thoughts always turned to spiritual things in algebra because I was always calling on God to help me with it, you know. And um, he was sitting next to me and I had developed a friendship with him. And sometimes during class, when you finished your work, you had a little time to talk. And I turned to him and I had mustered up the courage and I called him by name. I said, I'm just wondering, are you a Christian? And he said, yes, I'm a Christian. And I said, yes, all right, I am too. And he looked at me like I had just sprouted a second head. And he said, we're all Christians. I said, what do you mean? He said, if we're not Jewish, if we're not Muslim, we're Christians. And I understood then where he was coming from. That wasn't what I was talking about. And he said, what did you think I was? And I said, well, let me explain to you what I mean by are you a Christian? And I went through the process of, uh, of have you asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And as it turned out, he had, and as far as I know, he's serving the Lord today. But he made the mistake so many people make. They think that being a Christian is not being something else. Or they think being a Christian is just an intellectual assent. But Jesus must be confessed as Lord. I think of John 3, 16, where the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. First John, where I said we'd be reading from, he says, we know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now listen to this. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. John, the beloved, understood that being in God and being in Christ is not a matter of intellectual assent. Yes, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, and he was a great teacher. No, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the solution for my sins. You don't have to have a great deal of theological understanding. My pastor used to put it this way. He said, to begin the Christian life, he said, you just need to know two things. He said, you need to know that you're a big sinner, and you need to know that he's a big Savior. And that's how I got started on this Christian path. So the action point I want to give you is this. True believers embrace more than an intellectual assent of Jesus. They love him. They trust him. They submit to him. Now that's the first birthmark of every child of God, regardless of what branch of Christianity they may be in. Now, there's a second birthmark. Uh, have, you, have you confessed Jesus as Lord is number one, but you'll have another big birthmark in your spirit. Do you obey the commands of Christ? You say, well, it's one thing to believe, but this obeying is a little bit more difficult. Well, both believing and obeying are by the grace of God. But listen to what John said about this second birthmark in 1 John 5 
verses 3 through 4. This is love for God, he said, to obey his commandments. There's a lot of works you can do, but the, to show your love for God is to obey his commandments. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now that's what he said in 1 John chapter 5 earlier in that same book. Listen to these powerful words about obeying the commands of Jesus. 1 John 2, 1 through 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And I love my pastor used to say, and he put a period right there. That settles the matter. I write these things to you that you do not sin. And he stopped the sentence. But, thank God for those buts. But if anybody does sin... We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And he wraps it up with these words. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, loved ones, let me go ahead and calm you. This is one of the most disturbing passages in the entire epistle of John. You know, if I love him, I won't sin. If I love him, I'll do what he commands. But he knows that we are not perfect. He knows that we are a work in progress. Now, I don't want to tell you that your disobedience doesn't matter. I don't want to tell you that your sin doesn't matter because God will forgive you. No, I don't want to say that at all. But I do want you to know this. All of us sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us on our best days make mistakes in our thoughts, our deeds, or our words. And the good news is that he washes us in the blood of Jesus. As we live through the day, we are under a perpetual cleansing. The word says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. That's a present active participle. That word katharidze, it means that as I walk through the day, I am perpetually being washed in the blood of Jesus. But the question is this, am I trying to please him? Am I trying to obey him? Now, your first birthmark will say, I've confessed Jesus as Lord. Your second birthmark will say that I obey the commands of Jesus. Not perfectly, but I'm getting there. Here's a third birthmark. Are you unhappy when you sin? Are you unhappy when you sin? I've often said this to the congregation here at Christian Life. I wish with all of my heart that God would have made me when I got saved so that I could not sin. But he didn't do that. But he did something far more amazing. He made me so I cannot sin and enjoy it. That's the mark of a child of God. I am unhappy 
when I sin. Now, when you read 1 John 3, some versions say a child of God cannot sin, but really it's a matter of tenses. I'm not trying to uh, confuse you, but in the Greek text, it's a matter of tenses. John never says that a Christian cannot sin, but John does say this, a Christian cannot live in sin the way he used to. Let's read 1 John 3, verses 9 and 10. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. And again, we sin, we will probably, we don't have to, but we'll probably sin till the day we die. And we thank God for his forgiving grace. But the point that John is trying to make is that that's not your default. That's not your automatic response. You don't live the way you used to live and just say, well, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. He says, no one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning as he did before because he has, this is the, the operative word, he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. And again, the tenses are the way we understand this verse. This verse is saying, when you come to Jesus, you'll confess him as Lord and you'll obey his commands. And when you do wrong, it will grieve you and you will turn to him with repentance. But if you haven't come to him, you'll just keep on living the way you used to live. You may come to church. You may have made a trip to an altar. You may have signed up on a, uh, a, a prayer campaign somewhere. But if your life is really in Jesus, you won't live the way that you used to live. This is the action point. True believers embrace a life that actively obey the words of Jesus. He becomes a role model. In other words, it does make a difference how we live. Okay, um, are you unhappy when you sin? True believers aren't perfect, but their lives are changing. They'll never be comfortable with sin again. And here's number four, okay? You're unhappy when you sin. Are you overcoming the devil? Are you overcoming that old nature? Are you overcoming the world system? Is your citizenship locked into another kingdom? John wrote this in chapter 5, verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. So loved ones, that's another birthmark of the child of God. You're overcoming it, 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 you, you may fall, but you get up again and you keep going. True believers don't live in slavery to sin anymore. They may struggle, but they learn to receive victory through Christ's provision. Now, here's the last birthmark. Let me, let me be sure you got them. Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord? Do you seek to obey the commands of Jesus? When you fail, are you unhappy about it? My pastor used to say that um, an unbeliever leaps into sin and loves it, but God's child lapses into sin and loathes it. It's a good way of putting it. Are you unhappy when you sin? And when you look at your life, here's number four, is the balance of your life that you're overcoming the devil. You're overcoming the world. You're overcoming your flesh. And this leads us to our last birthmark. Do you love other Christians? 
Do you love other Christians? That may not seem like a really big thing, but I want to tell you something. One thing I would never allow my children to do as we were growing up, they could have issues, they could make mistakes, they could fail, they could let me down. But one thing I did not allow is for them to get at odds with each other. And I would harp on this over and over again. There'll come a day when family is all you've got. There'll come a day when you, your siblings are all you've got. You must not let anything come between you and your brothers and sisters. That was a mantra that we just drilled into them. And they live by it to this day. It's not that they're perfect with each other, but they know the value of family. I, I, I think what I would like to point out to you is 1 John 5, 1 as a focal point. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. Everyone that loves the father loves his child as well. See, through the years, I've had people that for some reason or another, I don't know how they got it in their mind, they thought they could be my friend and not care for my children. It's not possible. Absolutely impossible. I'm not interested in the friendship of anyone that can embrace my children. I'm not interested in anyone that says, I'll take you, but not them. And God has no less standard. In fact, he has a higher standard on us. He says, look, you are in this together. In fact, one day when you have nothing to do, go through the New Testament and just see how many times the phrase one another is used. There's no such thing as Christianity apart from other Christians. Um, it's interesting. I haven't found it in any version I've ever read. The word saints in the New Testament is always plural. There's never anything about a saint. It's always saints. We're in this together. 1 John 3.10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Here's the action point, my friend. True believers find their place in the community of faith. The best way to show love for God is to love his children. That's not always easy, but I tell you what Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, if you find that you are in a position of worship, he was using the Old Testament picture of bringing sacrifices um, and, and doing your, your ritual service to the Lord. He said, if you come and find out that your brother has something against you, you've done them wrong. This is what he said, leave your sacrifice there, go to your brother and make it right. Go to your brother and make it right. That's how, that's how important this thing is, to extend forgiveness, to receive forgiveness. I think it was Charles Swindoll that put it this way. He said, um, living with each other in the community of Christ is sort of like being a porcupine on a cold winter's night. He said, you, you find the porcupines coming together for warmth, but then as they get warm, the, the needles and barbs come out and they kind of drive each other away. And uh, he said, it's like this, we need each other, but we also needle each other. I understand that and God understands that. But 
overruling all of our issues and our struggles is that we live in community with one another. You know, one thing that I think is going to be a good result of this involuntary quarantine that we've had where we've had to uh, have church via live stream and so forth. I think what it's done is put in the heart of people how important it is for us to come together. It's never easy. What's that old saying? To, to live above with saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints I know, well, that's a different story. That's sort of true. I know that. But I think one of the good things that's going to come out of this whole virus thing that we're having to deal with is that we're going to realize how vitally important it is for the people of God to come together. Now, loved ones, let me conclude this message by just asking you these questions. We've gone over them several times, but I don't want to dismiss without you answering affirmatively. Have you named Jesus as your Lord? Have you confessed him as Lord? Not is he a nice addition to your life, but is he the Lord and Savior of your life? Is he the center of your existence? Number two, I want to ask you, do you obey the commands of Jesus? I'm not looking for perfection, but are you in an, in an overt and intentional drive to obey the commands of Jesus? Are you unhappy when you sin? Is there a, is there a sense of, you might call it conscience, conscience, but deeper than that is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The greatest thing that can happen to us when we do something wrong is to allow the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit to bring us to a place of repentance and to fall on our knees before God. In general, are you overcoming? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you getting um, uh, more and more victories over past sin and habits? Are you gaining ground? And, and number five, are you serving the Lord in the fellowship of his people? Is your life full of other Christians that are part of your vital existence? If you're not sure about any of these things, I, I, I wanna give you comfort on two levels. Number one, if you're a Christian and you've just not been living up to what the word demands of us, the good news is there's forgiveness. And you can start that right now. Today is a brand new day. Today is a fresh start for you. But if perhaps you're saying, well, you know, maybe I thought I was a Christian because I belong to a church or I was raised in church, but pastor, I'm not even sure that I'm a Christian at all. Let me give you the best news of the whole thing. You can know today, you can know before we end this service in just a few moments, you can know that you have eternal life. You can know, as the scripture says, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You can know, you can know. Um, it's a very simple thing. My pastor used to say it's as simple as A, B, C. The A, admit that you're a sinner. You've got to come to God on his terms, not your own. You have nothing to negotiate here. You, you have no deals to make. There was an old song they were singing the night I gave my life to Jesus. And uh, it says, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that you bid me come to thee. O Lamb of God, 
I come. You come to him on his terms. You admit that you're a sinner. The B is believe. Believe with all of your heart. Believe that Jesus is Messiah, he's Savior, and he is the solution for your sins. Believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Believe he lived a sinless life. Believe that he died a substitutionary death on the cross for you and me. And believe that he was raised from the dead by the power of God and raised to the right hand of God the Father where he lives right now to make intercession for us. Believe that Jesus is Savior. And then the C is confess it, agree to it, declare it. He is my Lord. I give my life to Jesus. And as simple as ABC, oh, there's, there's more to learn. There's more to grow in. There's a whole life of growing. But the issue of eternity, the issue of heaven or hell can be settled right now by a simple yes. Let me pray for you. And why don't you pray with me as we conclude our time together? Father, I thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl that has accepted Jesus as Lord. And I thank you for everyone that just might be praying right now. Father, I ask you to give them faith in their heart as your Holy Spirit draws them to the cross of Christ. I ask that you would help them to see that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the admitting but we also believe that uh, as many as receive Jesus, you give the power to become the children of God. That's the B. That's the believing. And right now, Lord, though our faith is imperfect and though our faith is young and though we're brand new Christians and is dependent on you as a newborn babe, we confess you as our Lord and Savior and we pledge our lives to you. We pledge our eternities to you. We pledge to you our obedience and our loyalty. We give thanks to you for this. And we know that you hear and answer prayer. Thank you for the promise where you said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast them away. Guaranteed acceptance for a sincere heart. Thank you for receiving us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening and being with us today. God bless you and we hope to see you soon.